Well, hello. Good morning. What a strange time we've been having. Everything's changed, hasn't it? All our identities and everything that we, we knew and thought that was normal. We've either not been working or incredibly busy. All our rhythms and our ways of living have uh, completely changed. And it's a time when lots of people have been thinking about reaching out to God. Is there a God? Perfectly natural. There's been a lot of sociological um, research in the last decade about emergencies and people's belief in God. They're expecting to find that people believe less in God. But in fact, the opposite is true. It's been shown that the closer you live to an earthquake zone, the far more likely you are to have a personal belief in God. A research in 2006 with students in Michigan, um, some they told uh, all about death and others they kept kind of neutral. All those who've been exposed to thoughts of danger and death all profess to having a growth in their faith, uh, some who hadn't had faith before. In New Zealand, uh, immediately after the earthquake in 2011, it was noted that people who lived in the earthquake zone uh, were far more likely to come to faith in a god. Even Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud, they noted, well their belief was that religion had been uh, evolving to fulfil that role that we need of going to somebody higher than ourselves in moments of crisis. And surely this has been a crisis and is still a crisis and it's been noted uh, many times on Google that um, searches for Jesus, prayer and the Bible are at record tendencies. And in fact, at one point, prayer early in March was the highest spiked search on the internet. Over 25% of all Americans have claimed that their faith in God has grown. And we know that 25% of the British population have been accessing churches online. Time for tea. By the end of March, half the entire globe will have prayed for the end of the pandemic. That's three and a half billion people praying in March alone that God would bring an end to the pandemic. Three and a half billion people calling out to a God, may they be Muslim, Hindu, Christian, whatever. Crisis calls us to reach out to a loving God. So we're all dealing with different kinds of loss. Obviously, there's a loss to our rhythm of life and a loss to what we thought of as normal. Even the abnormal is becoming normal. And just as we're getting used to that, we're now having to get used to the idea of normal again, going to shops and some of us on the front line, the new normal has been over busy, work to the bone, trying to save the nation. Whether you've been in school or working for the NHS, maybe you've been getting lost in the emergency, maybe even losing a sense of yourself. And of course then, there's always the horrible spectre of bereavement that some of us have lost members of our families. Life goes on and some of us who are sick are still sick. People still have cancer. 
And how do we deal with all of that in the middle of a pandemic? And all the normal rituals of life, these rites of passage are disrupted and foreign and unfamiliar when they were distressing enough already without a pandemic. But even before then, we had other kinds of crises. We had Brexit, arguments about immigration. We had all those general elections. We were having to face society's uh, approach to gender inequality and the Me Too movement. Before that, we had the terrorism attacks uh, in London and in other places like Manchester. And now we've got COVID and even in the middle of COVID, we're having to face the innate racism in our nation brought to us so clearly by the Black Lives Matters movement. And then we've got the future, haven't we? What's happening with the economy? What's happening with our jobs? So much to lose. So much loss. And so we find ourselves returning to the creator once again, the one who made us, the one who knows how we tick. As Peter said to Jesus, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He knows how he made us. So we trust that maybe he'll know how to keep us. I don't believe that we were built for death and loss and grieving. I believe that we are made for life. To walk with God and to know him intimately and to manage and nurture this wonderful planet. That's certainly what Genesis seems to suggest. But now we're living in this broken environment for sin and death and pain. We're not made for it. And yet, God so lovingly, carefully created us. He so over-engineered us. He's made us resilient enough to cope with all the sadness, loss and pain. I mean, we are fish out of water. We shouldn't be able to survive. But he's made us so well, so resilient. And so we come back to him, the designer. Maybe he can make sense of it all. Especially when the environment becomes so toxic for us, we feel overwhelmed and unable to cope. Although, if we never left his side, I'm sure it'd be easier. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's comforting to know that Jesus wasn't cowed by death. He took it on, up front, squared up to it, looked it in the eye. He raised children, he raised servants, he raised his best friend who'd been dead for three days. And then he did the ultimate, after giving his own life for us on the cross, to pay the ultimate sacrifice. He raised himself after three days in a cold stone tomb. What an amazing God. What an amazing man. We just praise God for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good at overcoming, for defeating death, defeating loss, 
In our reading, we see Jesus taking on death and loss in a very gentle and earthy, normal way. He talks about a seed being planted. If you take a seed and you put it on a shelf, in a display case, it might be a beautiful seed, it might be an old gnarled pea, but if you just leave it there on the shelf, it comes to nothing. Everyone can see it, but it comes to nothing. Its potential isn't released. But take that seed, that same seed, and you bury it, you let it die. See what happens. It comes to life, and then it produces many more seeds. It's a miracle, a miracle of multiplication. And he compares our lives to this. He says, hang on to your life and you'll lose it. Leave it on the shelf, you'll find no potential. But give it to him, bury it in him, and he will release its potential. Your life will have meaning. Your life will maybe change the world. But at times like this, we don't get to choose to bury the things or let things die. Often it's taken out of our hands and we're not the masters of our own destiny. Don't run around trying to save it all by yourself. Don't try to hold on, let go. You won't succeed and you'll definitely burn yourself out. Instead, actively, daily, throw yourself into the arms of the Father and see what he does. But if in the midst of your loss, you bury your life in Christ, he promises not just to get you through, but to give you opportunity, to bring you hope, to bring you joy, more abundant life. Megs and I have experienced bereavement of our parents, friends, uh, we've experienced sadness, unemployment, tensions in our marriage, anxiety, depression, redundancy, loss of significance and status. We've said goodbye to the home we built, the church we planted, our friends and our families, as well as our possessions. And yet in all of this, God has used these things to create a much better outcome than we would have done. As we've sown into the lives of others and we've sought God's wisdom and his comfort, it's been so rewarding just seeing what God can do with what you lay down at his feet. As Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Or as Peter, uh, one of Jesus' best friends, put it, humble yourself therefore before God Almighty and cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We all deep down have this sense that God is there and that he can and wants to help us. He wants to navigate this challenging environment that we find ourselves in. And it's times like this that we find that our faith is a rock. Not that our faith is rocked, but our faith is the rock. It becomes the sure foundation. When all else fails us, it becomes the engine of hope. Hope that God is not shocked, surprised or derailed like we are, but that he has a plan, that he can make the way even when though there seems to be no way. That he is the master of the impossible, the improbable and the unfixable. 
He always makes a way when there seems there is no way. One of the most challenging aspects of loss is seeing God amongst the turmoil. It can feel very lonely and we can be tempted to feel abandonment. As if God can't see us anymore. As if the situation not only has overwhelmed us, but overwhelms God. And that's why I asked Emily to read the other passage from John chapter 1 at the beginning where it talks about that we didn't recognise him. He came to his own, but his own did not recognise him. You see, a little bit later in that chapter, we meet John the Baptist. And John is Jesus' cousin. He knows Jesus. He's been to parties with Jesus. He's played with Jesus. He's laughed with Jesus. He's wrestled with Jesus. He's even probably got crossed with Jesus. He's been to bar mitzvahs and Sabbaths, festivals in Jerusalem. He would have been aware of the stories around Jesus' birth. In fact, the story where he was part of the story, where Mary comes to visit Elizabeth pregnant with Jesus. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John, and as Mary enters into Elizabeth's presence, John suddenly leaps in the womb and causes Elizabeth to sing a song of praise and Mary to sing a song of praise to God. John was that little baby in the womb, recognising the Messiah. And yet we find he didn't recognise Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't see him as that. In fact, what he describes is that he was sent out into the desert uh, to draw the people of God, people of Israel to him, to baptise them, calling him out of a godless way of life. And God told him if he did that, then he would have the Messiah revealed to him, the chosen one, the maker of the world, the one who's going to come to rule and judge and save all mankind. And so John is expecting that person to come from somewhere and clearly the inference there is he's not expecting it to be Jesus. He explains to the Pharisees when they ask him, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not. But I tell you, I know who he is. And he says that God showed him through the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus and hovering and staying there. And that God had clearly said to John that Jesus was the Messiah. It was at that moment John realised he was the Messiah. That was the revelation when John was about God's business, in God's place, doing God's thing, that he revealed and saw God. Can you imagine that? There was Jesus in the midst of the Messiah in those parties, in those bar mitzvahs, in all those kinds of different situations, and yet no one recognised him. Uh, John puts it like this. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise the water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So if John missed him, I know I can. And I do frequently. But Jesus has promised never to leave us, never to abandon us, or forsake us, or misplace us. Yet so often he comes in ways I don't recognise. I'm not looking for those ways, like John wasn't looking for his cousin. <laughs> if only I had my eyes open more often, and my heart more attentive. You see, the definition of faith, isn't it, is it's being certain of what you don't see, that we're told in Hebrews. You don't see gravity, but you're certain it's there. You, we can't see oxygen, and yet every breath we take is an act of faith that it's going to be there. 
And in the metaphor of the seed, Jesus claims that when loss comes, that's when we grow. That's when we see our full potential. That's when we see God for real. I remember the devastation and worry came in 2010 when I was told I was going to be made redundant. And I quickly worked out a plan that God could do for me. And I told him so. And I expected that plan to happen. But God went on mute. He didn't say a word for six weeks. That's what I thought. But God was working on my behalf, working where it seemed like he wasn't working. And literally the minute, I mean literally the minute I gave in and started to do things God's way, God opened a way. But that way was always there. It's just that he'd revealed it to me. He'd opened my eyes and I'd seen it. And that's how we ended up in Turkey. Within a few months, there we were, working for the Lord in Turkey. And it was the most wonderful five years. But when I lost my dad in a, in a car accident and, and only six months later, we lost Meg's mum to a surprise and unexpected illness. We were reeling. Josh had just been born too and we were like in the middle of all sorts of ups and downs and emotions and we were just hanging on to the Father. God not only pulled us through that time, we didn't just survive, but he set us on a firm place, a firm place to stand and because of those days um, we were able to provide for our kids a home and I would give anything not to have lost my dad or Beryl. God turned that tragedy into a golden opportunity for us as a family. We've had tight times, but he's never let us go. And he's never let us go without food, without a home or a bed. If you're facing loss, or you're in the midst of loss right now, I just really want to encourage you. God has not abandoned you. He hasn't misplaced you. He hasn't lost you somewhere. He's not careless. He's passionate about you and he has grace for you. He weeps with you and he longs for you to be whole and not in pain. But he's not anxious. He's not afraid. He knows the plans he has for you. He knows he's working on your behalf. He plans to prosper you. So I urge you not to wrestle with him, but to rest in him. Trust him when he says in, in Matthew, he says, don't worry about what you shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For the pagans run after all these things and our heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I was trying to think of a practical way we could apply this scripture to our lives and it occurred to me that John, John saw Jesus when he was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing for God. He'd humbled himself under God's almighty hand, like Peter says, and lies in Proverbs it we referred to earlier about uh, you know, being directed into God's paths. So John was an example of that and, 
as a result of that, he had Jesus revealed to him when he needed it the most. Uh, but before that, Jesus had been right there with him in the midst, but he hadn't seen him. It wasn't that Jesus was absent. It wasn't that God wasn't there. It's just that John hadn't seen him. And I think sometimes the language we use when we pray can sometimes work against us. If we pray and say, God, where are you? I need you right now. Uh, that's a very natural prayer and I've prayed it many times myself, but it's got that sense of abandonment in it. And I'm, I worry if it feeds my sense of abandonment and orphanhood. And I wonder if it'd be more accurate and maybe more faith building to say, God, I know you're here. Will you show yourself? I need you right now. I know you're here. Will you reveal yourself? Come out of the shadows, Jesus. I need to see you. So, I believe that if we do it like that, Jesus will answer that prayer. I mean, he answers our prayers. But we'll have an expectation, and not a prescribed expectation, that Jesus walks through the door wearing a three-piece suit with a check in his hand. But he'll come in any way that he chooses, the right way for us and for our situation. He'll come just at the right moment, at just the right time, in just the right way. And so I, I dare you this week to change the way you pray, not change your faith, not to change God, but just the kinds of words you use when you pray to exercise that faith, to say, God, I know you're here. It says in your word that you're here. You've promised not to leave me, not to abandon me. Lord, I know you haven't lost me, misplaced me, carelessly discarded me. I know. But Jesus, I can't see you right now. Will you step out of the shadows? Will you show yourself? Will you reveal yourself to me right here, right now? I need that comfort. I need your wisdom. Holy Spirit, come. And you know what? It'd be so great to hear your stories of what happens. Telling your story about what God has done in your life increases its power. It multiplies it. You mention it to the neighbour. You mention it to your family. In some ways, it's a bit like dying to yourself and burying that seed in some ways taking on the embarrassment of sharing your story. And yet, what happens when we do that is it multiplies. Joy multiplies. You'll see more. You'll hear more. So we'd love it if you shared those stories with us. We'd love to get emails and WhatsApps and Instagram messages, whatever way you communicate, and just to tell us what God has done for you this week and how he's shown himself and how he's revealed himself. So, I wonder if you'd like to join me in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you've not abandoned me. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. I've built my life on the foundation of your promise that you'd never leave me, you'd never forsake me. And Jesus, this week, I give myself over to your will through all the trials and through all the hardships of this week, Lord Jesus, I ask that you'll show yourself. 
I don't want to give myself over to your will. I want, Lord, I want to see you working and performing the miracles that you do to do what you know best, which is to overcome, to bring hope. Amen.